0: And, you know, before we get into the the passage, there's just a a couple thoughts going through my mind, and uh, we were singing it as well, and I thought of of each of those verses that we sang, and the thought that came to me is like, followers of Jesus, for those in this room who have, have surrendered their life to Jesus, we should be the most peaceful people on the earth have the most peace deep down in our soul because that, that first verse talks about uh, just going through life's troubles, going through the storms of life and just allowing the, the peace of God, the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding to flood our souls in the midst of difficulty, knowing that, that, that God is with us in the midst of all the highs and in the lows. And then that second verse, like my sin or oh, the bliss of this glorious thought is nailed to the cross, not, not in part, but the whole. Like the, the fact that the cross took all of our sins, that we are free, that we're forgiven, that we're new creations in Christ, that should give us so much peace, that we walk around in life knowing that, that, that we don't have to pay for our sins, that it has already been paid for us, that when Jesus said it is finished, it was truly finished. The striving for acceptance was done. We are accepted because of the blood of Jesus if we put our faith in Jesus. That should fill us with so much peace. And then knowing at the end of our, our lives, when, when, when this life is done, when our time is done, and our faith becomes sight, and we see Jesus face to face, that should fill us with so much peace. Because yeah, there's, there's a process of, of, of dying, and nobody looks forward to that, but the outcome for a follower of Jesus is face to face with him. Man, what, what a hope we have. And that should just flood our souls this morning with so much So much peace. The other thing that I think of, and I'm going to ask you to do something, so this is a a separate little thing from that. I want us to sing just a little chorus uh, together. I'm not going to grab a guitar even though I was threatened or I just was thinking of doing it. But I I just want to sing this little chorus, um, I Exalt Thee. And I want us to sing it uh, together before we get into the message. So let's just sing.
1: I exalt thee. I exalt I exalt Thee, I exalt thee. Oh, Lord, I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt Thee, O oh Lord. Let's sing, we exalt Thee. We exalt Thee.
0: Because I know as we sing that, that's the the cry of all of our hearts in this room, is that we would live lives of worship. And there's two pictures of worship in Scripture. One that we see uh, is, it means to to bow down and kiss the hand of a king, to tell a king how great he is, to, to, to shout with our mouths, to proclaim with our lips the greatness of a king. And that's what we get to do as we worship, as we sing. And, and I love to worship and sing and tell God how, how great he is and Jesus how wonderful he is. And frankly, that's what we're going to be doing forever and ever and ever because the, all around the throne it says worship never stops and there's this loud multiple, multitude that never stops singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just over and over and over again. That is a powerful picture of worship. And there's so many different ways to worship. All around the world, people are worshiping. You know, you've know, you probably been in, in different churches around the world where um, they're not just standing there, they're dancing around. I remember being in South Africa, and, and we started to sing, and, and these women just started, yeah, there you go, Reese, you're shouting, like, nice. Um, and these, these women just started dancing around, and then they brought me into this big, like, conga line, and I'm like, okay, we're just worshiping. And so there's that picture of worship where we get to declare to God how great He is. But then there's also the Romans 12 picture of worship where it's like to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. And that takes worship out of of singing and brings it into the day-to-day life. Every moment of our lives are to be lived bringing glory and honor to Jesus. And so on one hand, it's easy to sing in in a place like this, and it's wonderful to sing in a place like this, I exalt thee or we exalt thee. But then it also becomes more difficult because Sunday becomes Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And how do we live lives of worship all throughout the week? Because worship is Monday through Saturday just like it is on Sunday. And so this morning I want to look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. Because I think in here we see a picture of, of Paul living a life of worship all throughout his life. In every moment, in every day, living a life of worship. And actually, I'm not going to start in First Thessalonians uh, 2. We're going to look at the story in Acts 17 when Paul came to Thessalonica. And we're going to see how things started, how the kingdom of God started to expand in Thessalonica. And so if you want to turn to Acts 17, we're going to read the verse, first nine verses. And just going to set some context and, 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 and see the story and just what happened when Paul came to Thessalonica says this now when Paul when they had passed through some town and I've been trying to say that but I just can't say that word and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in and was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures for three weeks. Paul, as his custom, he would go into some challenging situations, some challenging places, and he would reason with them about Jesus. He would tell them that Jesus was the Christ. It says in verse 3 explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And the result of that was, and some of them were persuaded. And joining Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. And so there are some that, that gave their life to Jesus. They, they saw what, uh, or they heard what Paul was saying. And the Holy Spirit worked in their heart, convinced them in, in their heart that this was true. And they opened up their life to Jesus and became followers of Jesus. But in verse 5, it says, But the Jews were jealous. And if this was a movie, you would hear the the music change, like, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, or like John was mentioning last week, bad characters, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security for Jason and the rest, they let them go. I want you to look at verse 6. I love that, that this was the description that the people or how the people described Paul and his group. Because here, here Paul had come to Thessalonica, to this, this space and, and, and into the synagogues and, and proclaiming Jesus. And some people gave their life to Jesus, which is what's gonna happen when you proclaim the gospel, but not everybody gave their life to Jesus. And there was this opposition that came up. But when they saw Paul and the group come to Thessalonica, this is how they described him. These men who have turned the world upside down. I remember underlining that in my Bible years ago, and in the margin I wrote, "This is what I want to happen in my kids' lives. I want them to be known as people who turn the world upside down." And frankly, as I was thinking of this week, I want us to be known for as people who turn the world upside down, who make an impact in the world, because these men had heard about Paul. They had heard what he had done, and maybe they heard what he had done in Philippi, and the conversion of Lydia, or the slave girl who was set free, or the jailer who became a follower of Jesus and his whole family. Or maybe he had heard of the signs and wonders that had happened all throughout as Paul went from town to town to town, or the time when he went into a city and signs and wonders broke out and people were healed and they started to worship paul and they're like no he's like no don't worship me worship the god who created this miracle who caused this miracle to happen paul had this reputation the world was being turned upside down and i pray that this would be what we're known for as well that we are a people who turned the world upside down not for our glory but for the glory of jesus but the question that I had this week is, is, how do we become people who turn the world upside down? How did this happen? And this is where I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. Because 1 Thessalonians was written just a couple weeks after Paul was in Thessalonica. Because it, he got, ran out of town. He went to Berea, and actually people, these, these bad characters, chased him, followed him to Berea. And they were opposing him all along the way. But some people stayed in Thessalonica, and even though they couldn't discredit the message, what these people who opposed Paul did was they tried to discredit the messenger, and they labeled a tax on Paul, and they just said he was uh, he wasn't uh, pure in his heart. They challenged his his uh, character. They challenged his heart and, and who he is. They challenged his authenticity. They're, they're saying he's not in it for the right reasons. And so they're coming after his character, and so Paul is defending himself. And as he defends himself, as he's pushed against the wall, backed into a corner, he comes out and he reveals really the motivation, the why behind, uh, the, the way, the, the why behind uh, he did everything, why he did everything. And this is what he said, 1 Thessalonians 2. He said, this is my heart. This is like why I'm doing everything that I'm doing. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes just a couple weeks after, he says this, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, which is like the understatement of the year, like shamefully treated, he got thrown in, the, in, in, in prison, he got his back ripped open by uh, by whips, I mean, he was horribly treated in Philippi. He says, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, we, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so Paul shares, he says, here's my motivation." Here's, here's what is, is compelling me to do what I'm doing. And I love that he started this in verse 2. He said, you know, if you want to turn the world upside down, if you want to be a person who's known by this, he says, we had boldness in our God. All throughout the New Testament, you see that people prayed for boldness. They asked God for boldness. They got, God, fill us with boldness. Paul was probably, even by nature, a very bold individual. But Paul says his boldness wasn't in his own ability. His boldness wasn't just a character trait. He said in verse 2, he said, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel. If we're going to turn the world upside down, if we're going to be known for people like that, we have to be bold, not in our own ability, but be bold in God, bold in the gospel, bold in, in the power of God and who he is. Paul had that type of boldness. Boldness in God because he had encountered Jesus. He had been transformed by Jesus. And he had seen Jesus change and transform others. His boldness was in his Savior, was in the gospel. And so that compelled Paul to be extremely bold. To do things that we would look at and say, wow, I can't believe that he's doing that. We have to have this boldness in God. And I was reminded of the story of of David and Goliath. And turn, or it's going to be up on the screen to First Samuel 17, because I love how this has played out in David's life. David, who was a shepherd and used to just caring for his flock, one day he goes to the battleground, and there he sees his brothers, and he's, he's just bringing them bread, bringing them food, and he sees his brothers, and, and he's talking to them, and then Goliath, this big giant, comes out, and he defiles the, the armies of the Lord, the army of Israel, And David's like, why isn't anybody standing up against this Goliath, this giant? And they're like, do you see him? Do you see how big he is? And he's like, God's going to provide. God's going to fight for me. And then David goes, and he he asks for permission to go and fight Goliath. And as he's face-to-face with Goliath, you can see this boldness rising up in David. And look at this, verse 45 of 1 Samuel 15. David said to the Philistine, David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Then all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, what did David do? He ran out quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I love that picture. He ran quickly. Why? Because David's boldness, David's faith, if you will, was not in his own ability with a slingshot. The fact that he could wield a rock at, at somewhere with precision. His boldness was in the God of the universe and the power of God to conquer the giants. So this story is not about conquering our own giants. The story is the power, it's a story about a power of God to deliver a whole nation from the giants. I think we have to have this boldness. Paul had this boldness in God to stand in front of a whole synagogue and proclaim the truth found in Jesus Christ. Do we have this boldness? Do we have this boldness in this gospel and frankly this faith in the gospel that the gospel is still powerful enough to transform a life? Do we have that faith that leads us to proclaim it wherever we go? If we're going to live a life of worship Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, we have to be bold in the gospel. And I wish you guys would have known me when I was in 6th grade. You think like, okay, you're up there speaking. You're used to speaking. In sixth grade, in Mr. Vensolkoma's class, I stood up to give a speech, and I fainted because <laughs> I was so nervous to talk in front of people. In 11th grade, I was the president of my 4-H club, raising sheep, and, and, and I, I stood up in front of a meeting of 10 people. I won't say it, Darla. <laughs> in front of 10 people, and I was so nervous to talk. Sweat was coming down my face. My cheeks got bright red. And I was like, "Ah," just so freaked out. I hate speaking in front of people, in, in, in public. This is not like enjoyable for me. This is not something that I thought that I wanted to do. But as a junior in college, I had an encounter with Jesus that transformed my life. I was living a complacent life, going to church every Sunday, looking the part, but there was no fruit in my life. And the Holy Spirit penetrated my heart, and Jesus overwhelmed me with his love and compassion. And he's like, I have so much more for you. This is not the life that I have for you, Dave. Surrender all and follow me. It was at that moment that I'm like, okay, I was going to do this with my life, but God, you're transforming my life. And like Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That's what rose up inside of me. And so anytime that I speak, and I've had some some interesting situations that I've been in, the boldness that I have, any boldness that I have comes from the fact that I believe that there is nothing that can transform a human life or a heart like the power of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit softens a heart. And so, woe to me if I don't proclaim the gospel. We have to be people who have that boldness in God. Like, God, you can transform any heart. And so, when I speak the gospel, when we speak the gospel, when we're bold that way, it's not saying we're bold in any of our human ability. We're bold because we know and we believe the power of God to transform a heart. This past weekend, I was at winter camp with Tyler. And I was given by the Lord just such a tremendous gift. And the gift, it wasn't a gift that I was expecting, See, I came across on Friday night a young man that was in my youth group 20 plus years ago. And this young man was just a pain. And there's other words that maybe I could share. Like, just a pain. Just like, he was the the worst. And just like drove me nuts. And I hadn't seen him in years. And then all of a sudden on Friday night, he's a youth leader at another church. And he's talking to me about how God had worked in his heart. His wife is battling cancer, and we were praying for for her. He talked about um, their journey. And I'm like, God, here's a guy that I haven't seen in 20 plus years. You have the power to transform a life, and I'm seeing it face to face. Thank you for this reminder. And sure, it's not in the timing that we want. I would have loved to, to have God rock his soul in high school. It would have been a lot easier for me. But 20 years later, God has a hold of his heart and he's raising up his kids to love Jesus and pointing them to Jesus. That's the power of the gospel to transform a life. Never underestimate the the power of God to take anybody from darkness and from the pit and bring them into the kingdom of his marvelous light. We have to be bold, bold in the gospel. Paul was bold in the gospel, bold to proclaim. But also what Paul did, and I think this is something that we can, can learn from Because I think the thing that prevents us from being bold in the gospel is, first of all, our faith in the gospel. Do we believe that God can transform a heart? But I also think a thing that stands in the way is pride, if we get get down to it. Because we worry, what will people think? What will people say? How will we look in this? And Paul says this in in talking to the church in Thessalonica. He's saying, when I came to you, verse 4, I spoke not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul says, my audience wasn't you. I wasn't speaking to please you. I was speaking to please God. And so that led Paul to say some pretty bold things. Because at the end of the day, he wasn't about the audience. He wasn't about growing just a big crowd and and just tickling their ears, which he was uh, accused of doing. He said, no, when I spoke... I spoke not to please men, but to please God, to bring glory and honor to God, not glory and honor to people. And so when we shrink back, when we're wrestling through, like, what are we going to say? Am I going to proclaim the gospel? I think we have to wrestle with the fact of, okay, are we worried about how we look, or are we worried about how God looks? And I think at the end of the day, we have to take a lesson from Paul who said, I'm not speaking to please man, but I'm speaking to please God. That was Paul's motivation. He wanted just to bring honor and glory to God. And so that led him to proclaim some very bold things, to speak boldly in situations because he, at the end of the day, just wanted to please God. And this also was a sign of love because if you are always worried about what people are thinking, then it's going to prevent you from saying some things that need to be said in love, from speaking the truth in love. And so if we're going to turn the world upside down, if we're going to live a life of worship, there are going to be times where you're going to be called to speak and to say some things that are challenging. I don't want us to shrink back, but I don't want us to be filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim that truth because we don't want to please man, but we want to please God. We want to be God pleasers. And at the end of the day, this all just demonstrates Paul's ultimate motivation. And his ultimate motivation was a love for the people of Thessalonica. Because they were lost. They were, were going to spend eternity apart from God unless they put their faith in Jesus. And so he was motivated by love. And all throughout like this, this chapter, this section, Paul's saying, "Like you know I did this. You know I did that. When I came to you, you saw this. You experienced it. And this represents, this shows that Paul came not just to speak a message, but to share his own life. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture it's 1 Thessalonians 2.8. And Paul says this, I came to you and I didn't share just the gospel, but I shared my own life as well, my own self. Paul opened up his life. It wasn't about just sharing the message of Jesus. Paul shared the messenger, shared his life with them. And this, I think, is the key when it comes to sharing the gospel with our community. I believe the gospel spreads best through healthy relationships. And you and I are put in places, whether it's work, school, neighborhoods, to build relationships, to build those kingdom relationships so that we can speak into people's lives, to love them, to get to know them, and then tell them the hope that we have found in Jesus. But it all starts with sharing our lives, being relational. That's what has motivated me throughout all my life, to build those relationships with people so I can proclaim the gospel. And my prayer, my challenge for us this week is who is the Holy Spirit sending you to? Who is God sending you to this week? Who are the people in your life that you need to build relationships with so that you can look for an opportunity to speak boldly the hope that you have found in Jesus? Who are those people that the Holy Spirit is highlighting? So, you know, get to know this person. This week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to set aside time in your, in your schedule and say, you know what? I'm not going to do what I want to do. What I, like, I'm not going to just focus on this one thing maybe that I have to get done. I'm going to be open to building relationships with the people that God has brought into my life. This is what Paul did. He shared his life. I think too often Paul gets this bad rap of just going into an area and just proclaiming, boom, and then leaving. But all throughout Scripture, we see Paul thanking one person after the next, after the next, after the next. And this just demonstrates that he built relationships all along the way. And so we get the opportunity to do that where we live, to build those kingdom relationships so that we can speak boldly of the hope that we have found in Jesus. That's how you turn the world upside down. That's how you become known as a person who turns the world upside down to be bold in the gospel, to speak not to please men, but to please God, and to build those relationships. This past Thursday, I had the honor and the privilege of leading a memorial service for my friend Ron Essenberg. And there's a picture up on the screen of Ron. Ron uh, was a man that I got to know when he had an interesting interaction with uh, my son uh, at a a Great American Bagel before church one Sunday. Zane went up to him and uh, said, uh, was it you're fat or you're big? He said, you're fat. And Zane was five. And Ron, big guy with a huge heart said something like, I know, you know, and it it started to interact with Zane. And that became just a little friendship where we interacted, and and it was just beautiful. And and Ron, you never would have, have known, but he was a man who turned the world upside down. This past Thursday, I was doing his service, and Ron spent 13 years in AA, in a life of recovery, relapsed, and then spent another 16 years in recovery, or in, in AA. And in AA, there is uh, something called the, the big book. And in the big book that they go through, there was one line that Ron underlined in the book. And I was drawn to this, and, and it says this. It says, we have recovered and have been given the power to help others. That's what the big book says. And in the margin... There's a lot of things that that Ron wrote in the margins of this big book, questions to ask people, ways that he could help other people. But this is what he wrote next to this uh, little statement on page 134 in the book. He wrote this. He goes, what greater promise we could have hoped for. We have been given the power to help others. And that's exactly what Ron did. Ron went to an AA meeting every morning at 730 in the morning. But his day started a lot earlier than that. Often his phone would start ringing at 6 a.m. in the morning. As people who were in recovery would call him, asking him questions, asking for help, asking for rides to meetings. If he would, he would go uh, before the meeting, he'd pick a number of guys up and bring them to the 7.30 meeting. But if they weren't there, he would go find them and bring them to a meeting. Ron spent his life building relationships Ron spent his life speaking boldly into people's lives. And on Thursday, a number of men stood up and talked about how their life had been transformed by Jesus, all because Ron was willing to be obedient and to be bold and proclaim the truth that he had found in Jesus. Ron was a big man with a big heart. Turned this world upside down. But you think, okay, great, he did that for AA. But then his grandkids gave me letters, and I read letter after letter after letter. And they said, we'd come home, go over to grandma and grandpa's house, and sit with them. Forsaking time with my friends, one said. I left teenage-like sleepovers, and I'd go and sit with grandpa, making cookies, and listening to him just share the hope that he'd found in Jesus. Ron was a man who turned the world upside down. And I love sharing this story, because it brings it down to the ground level, to, to very practical ways. Ron never spoke on a stage. He would have hated everything about his memorial service because he wouldn't want people talking about him. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they weren't talking about him. They were talking about Jesus. And I pray at the end of our lives, that's what people say about us, that they would not talk about us. They would talk about the hope that they had found in Jesus through all of our lives. And I pray that we would be known as people who turn the world upside down. And so I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would lead us in that this week. And so let's, let's pray. Oh, Jesus, that's what we want to be. We want to be people that turn the world upside down for you. Oh, we want to be people that, that, that live our lives not going uh, along, the, along with the crowd. We don't want to live status quo lives. We want to live lives of worship, not just here on a Sunday morning, but, but every day of the week, pouring ourselves out, not for our glory, but for your glory, so that people would see you, so that those who don't know you, Jesus, would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And the crazy thing, Father, is that you work through your body, you work through your kids. And so I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with all boldness, that we would speak your words, not our words, that we would proclaim your truth, not our own opinions, and that you would put us face-to-face today and tomorrow and throughout the rest of this week with people who need to know you, Jesus. We pray like John the Baptist prayed that we would decrease and that you would increase in our lives. All for your glory. Oh, would you just grow your kingdom in West Michigan? Would you bring the lost into relationship with you? And that's our prayer. We just pray that your kingdom would come not ours, yours, all for your glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.